On the south side of the Nubian desert was the land of Ethiopia, the modern Sudan, which had been conquered by the Egyptians, and which they used as an emporium in their caravan trade with Central Africa and the shores of the Red Sea. But it could be reached only by means of a journey which is not without danger at the present day, and which must have been inexpressibly arduous at a time when the camel had not been introduced. The Nile, it is true, flows through this desert, and joins Ethiopia to Egypt with a silver chain. But from the time of its leaving the Sudan, until it reaches the black granite gate which marks the Egyptian frontier, it is confined within a narrow, crooked, hollow way. Navigation is impossible, for its bed is continually broken up by rocks, and the stream is walled in. It cannot overflow its banks. The reign of the Sahara is uninterrupted, undisturbed. On all sides is the desert, the brown, shining desert, the implacable waste. Above is a ball of fire ascending and descending in a steel-blue sky. Below, a dry and scorching sea, which the wind ripples into gloomy waves. The air is a cloud which rains fire, for it is dim with perpetual dust, each molecule a spark. The eye is pained and dazzled. It can find no rest. The ear is startled. It can find no sound. In the soft and yielding sand, the footstep perishes unheard. Nothing murmurs. Nothing rustles. Nothing sings. This silence is terrible, for it conveys the idea of death, and all know that in the desert death is not far off. When the elements become active, they assume peculiar and portentous forms. If the wind blows hard, a strange storm arises. The atmosphere is pervaded by a dull and lurid glare. Pillars of sand spring up as if by magic, and whirl round and round in a ghastly and fantastic dance. Then a mountain appearing on the horizon spreads upward in the sky, and a darkness, more dark than night, falls suddenly upon the earth. To those who gasp with swelled tongues and blackened lips in the last agonies of thirst, the mirage, like a mocking stream, exhibits lakes of transparent water and shady trees. But the wells of this desert are scanty, and the waters found in them are salt. The fugitives concealed the images of the gods, and taking with them the sacred animals, embarked upon their voyage of suffering and woe. After many weary days, they again sighted land. They arrived on the shores of Ethiopia, the country of the blacks. Once more their eyes were refreshed with green pastures. Once more they listened to the rustling of the palms, and drank the sweet waters of the Nile. Yet soon they discovered that it was not their own dear river, it was not their own beloved land. In Egypt, nature was a gentle handmaid. Here, she was a cruel and capricious queen. The sky flashed and bellowed against them. The rain fell in torrents, and battered down the houses of the Ethiopians. Wretched huts like hayricks, round in body, with a cone-shaped roof, built of grass and mud. The lowlands changed beneath the flood, not into meadows of flowers and fields of waving corn, but into a pestilential morass. At the rising of the dog-star came a terrible fly, which drove even the wild beasts from the river-banks, and destroyed all flocks and herds. 
At that evil season, the Egyptian colonists were forced to migrate to the forests of the interior, which were filled with savage tribes. Here were the troglodytes who lived underground. An ointment was their only dress. Their language resembled the hissing of serpents and the whistling of bats. Every month they indulged in a carouse. Every month they opened the veins of their sheep and drank of the warm and gurgling blood as if it had been delicious wine. They made merry when they buried their dead, and, roaring with laughter, cast stones upon the corpse until it was concealed from view.' 